0: Happy to be joined now by our Saints and Pelicans correspondent over there in the Crescent City who has uh, got his hands full this morning, making a delivery, doing a number of things. He's always busy. Better to be busy than to not be busy, but always appreciate him making time for us. Gus cattingale is, uh, is with us now. Good morning, Gus. Do you actually get to a little sleep this weekend considering that you know um there's a number of games that aren't being played or a number of teams in the state of louisiana that are off this weekend
1: but um then you have uh obviously by two lane today so (laughs) that's that's interesting i gotta get that going and um a big game for them for smu and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, just keeping track, I guess, of all the games that either are going to be played or not going
0: to be played, you know? Yeah. Um, Nick Saban has the uh, the coronavirus when that came out this week. Now he's asymptomatic. But I was saying this earlier. The fact that Alabama's playing Georgia and uh, it's number two versus number three, CBS Saturday night. If If Georgia wins that game, it doesn't matter what the final score is. Every You know, you know the immediate thing is going to be, yeah, well, they didn't have Saban, right? Oh, yeah, they didn't have Saban. If, 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 if Alabama doesn't lose any other games this season, but Georgia plays in the SEC championship, and there's a college football playoff, Bama's going to be like, well, we deserve in because we didn't have Saban for that game, so it doesn't count. You and I both know that's going to happen. We might even be part of the course saying it, but you know where this thing is going if they
1: lose tomorrow, right? You know, I, I, I'll say this. I don't know, to be honest with you, on this aspect of it. I, I think this whole season's straight, right? Um, which is why I kind of have tried to beg LSU fans to just, dude, um, just, it, it should be a stress-free season. And the reason why I say it should be a stress-free season is because um, I, it, it's, it's nothing like you've ever been through as a team, as a fan, you name it. You don't have people in the stands. You don't have, you know, like, like you normally would. And so, you know, you have teams that literally have had um, players opt out late, which I think affected LSU. Um, you had situations where you had um, coaches now, as you mentioned, be affected and all that, and that adds an element to it. And look, having gone through it, I mean, I missed one day of work essentially. The rest of the time I did it from my my house. I mean, I coughed some and stuff, but I mean, again, I got lucky and have the effects that would allow me to still do things. And Nick Saban feels like he should have a headset and be able to still communicate. So, uh, to give you an idea, you know, it's all different, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And it's all, um, you have to adjust on the fly. So, I just keep saying, you know, it's a stress free season to me, man. And I, I, you, you look at this season as I don't think you were ever going to win a national championship. I didn't think you were, um, had that sort of team or could do that. Plus, I mean, Scott, we hadn't even seen the Big Ten play yet, and right. Ohio State's been in the top 10. How can that be possible? You know? So, I mean, um, the Pac-12 didn't even start until November. I just, look, that's so why I, I said, just enjoy the weekend when your team plays. Grill what you like to grill. Have beverages. Have friends over you haven't seen in a while that you probably wouldn't because you go to the games all the time. Um, and, and just relax and just enjoy it. And just, you know, you'll see you next year. I, I guess is the best way I, I would. I kept saying it. But, yeah, man, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how the playoffs going to work. I don't know who deserves to be in it and who's not because, like I said, every week is different. I mean, the, the team right there in your neck of the woods, man. I mean, the Cajuns, you, you missed a game already this year. You had to have players play because of COVID. I mean, that's, that that's so different than suffering an injury or having a player, you know, transfer portal, a player, a player, not teams or coaches, you know, or multiple players. So, or or miss games. I mean, that's never happened that I can remember, you know, where you're not playing games because of sickness and illnesses. So, um, yeah, it's just strange, man. (laughs) You you know,
0: the, the advice from one Gus Kattengill, our guest right now to just kind of relax, take it easy. Wise words. But we're talking about sports fans. I know Cajun fans were not no, relaxing no. uh Wednesday and that uh the disappointing loss in a hard fought game and, and Lord knows Saints fans were uh doing anything but relaxing last Monday yeah. night. No, no, Holy no. cow, man. Um I the Saints are three and two, heading into the bye. I I swear, Gus, in the the fans that I have talked to, uh just the emotions range across the board. And somebody's saying, Well, that's true all the time. I don't know. I, I, I think like a lot of the time you'll have a majority of the Saints fans feeling a certain way and maybe a few outliers feeling a different way. The the after going into this spy, it's all over the place. Literally. Oh, they're awful. Mm-hmm bench. What the hell are you talking about? You can't bench Priest. He's been great the last two weeks. This national narrative of Winston. What's wrong with the secondary? Oh, DeMario Davis is good. Oh, Davenport's back. Oh, look, it's a bye week. Everything's going to be great. Michael Thomas will return. The offense is going to click. Michael Thomas is not going to be on the team ever again. Though the sky is falling. I have heard it all. You've got a very active show in New Orleans at ESPN 100.3. I know you talked to uh, our mutual friend Ralph Malbrough this week from the Saints Happy Hour mm-hmm. podcast. What is it the same for you over there, Enola, in terms of just the emotions are all over the place?
1: You know, I, I think I, I likened it to what I saw in that game against the Chargers, Scott. Um, you know, I, I've gotten to a point where I'm trying to just watch the game, and obviously, especially on the weeknight, you know, you got three times what I got to go through. It's hard to watch a football game and, and be uh, involved in it. So. I've done a lot of the pausing, fast-forward, get to it, go through the commercial, get back and caught up later. Um, so I didn't tweet a ton. One of my few tweets that I had in that first quarter and in that first half, and especially that interception, um, Scott, it was simple. It was, this team looks like they're pressing. And you know that phrase, right? Mm-hmm. You know that phrase, having covered sports, having played sports. It happens to all of us, right? If you play, you're you a baseball guy like me, you love your mad I love my Cubs, so probably played. Um, you know what that's like, man? You got to run on first or second. You haven't got to hit in the big. You just really want to get that strike and you probably overswing swing or swing at something you should on that first pitch or, you know, it's something minute or small like that, but it can start to build and snowball. And I'm watching that offense. And, and look, on paper, there's no rhyme or reason at all that the Saints shouldn't be moving the football on offense and get clicking and going. And, and look, and then I know you can look at it and say, well, look at the Lions, the Lions, the Lions. I'm not even just saying them, um, Because you do see it in spurts. I mean, you, you do see that pass from Drew Brees to Jarrett Cook for 41 yards for the touchdown in which Jarrett Cook, after the game says he read the defense, it was a read and react, and he ran the route accordingly based on how the team was playing, the defense, and Drew Brees saw it. Went to him, threw him a beautiful ball for a touchdown. But I look at that play and that's something that why can't the Saints do often or more often? And it was remarkable that was his first target of the game and it came in the second half. Um that I, I just I, I, I have I don't know. Like I said, I you know, occasionally I might get a chance to play Madden Scott, but that's not hard. Dial up the play to Jarrett Cook. I mean I <laughs> You know, it's like I, I have a hard time believing that teams are defending certain players a certain way where you cannot get the football to them. I just I, – I, especially when I see other teams doing it. I, I just I, – I, I can't accept that. Um, I keep getting told up into the bye week that it's coverages that are basing what I can and can't do. When, Scott, I remember the good days were the same saying that we want defenses to bend to our will, that we went out and did what we wanted and now we have an offense and a quarterback that openly just says, hey, look, you know, sometimes the coverage dictates what we got to do. I, I get being smart, and I get that. But there is a play, and I'll send you the picture, that, that really stood out to me um, that I screenshot. And, again, I'm a screenshot offensive defensive coordinator quarterback. I get it. You know, Scott, it's got real time. But um, it's just things that are frustrating where, you know, Teron Armstead gets beat on the left side that eventually turns to be a sack for Drew Brees. Scott, the end zone camera, Sanders is open. The ball's got to get going. It's got to be a quick throw, a hard throw, probably low. safety's going to pop him, or he can choose to throw it over his right shoulder towards the receiver is going to um, the, the the out of bounds, and he can drop it for a big game because the defender's going towards the sideline. Um, and Brees doesn't let it go, and he takes the sack. And – it's little things like that that you, you just wonder you know, why that's happening and whether it's lack of confidence, father time, trying to be careful. But you know, to me, that's why I went back to the word pressing, you know, trying not to create that turnover, trying so desperately to get going, trying so hard to get that rhythm going, and, 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 and at the wrong time forcing the issue. Instead of forcing it on that play where the receiver is kind of open, it's a tight window. Um, and again, it, it's happened several times this year. He doesn't do it, and instead he does it when he shouldn't do it. So, you know, look, bottom line, it's a doink away from two and three, but it doink the right way for you, and you're three and two, and (laughs) I guess you just have to take it, accept it, and (laughs) go
0: do it. No doubt. Gus Caggill, our Saints and Pelicans, corresponded our guest. Gus, I uh, I, I liken it to kind of pulling teeth. Like the Saints have been this dentist offensively for a year that just had the perfect – you know, the, the perfect medicine to go ahead, numb it up, and the teeth just, you kind of clamp it on, and you just pull it right out, right? It's hard; It's loose, mm-hmm. just nice and smooth. And, man, I barely felt that. Thanks, Doc, right? And now it's like, well, guess what? You, the med doesn't work as well. You kind of have to start yanking it, and now you're pulling and pulling, and it's painful. Everything just feels like a grind right now. Even even the, the only time it does it, the only time it feels smooth to me, at least, let, let me let me not make a blanket statement about the whole season. I'll just speak specifically for Monday night. The elixir to get the offense going was the was the was the hurry up offense. Whether you want to call it a two minute drill, four minute drill, when they would go hurry up, it was like Drew's. Drew was he just seemed a lot more decisive. And I know he was better in the second half than mm-hmm. the first. But but that last drive of the first half, he seemed a lot more de- decisive. Everything was in rhythm. Emmanuel Sanders admits, "Say, look, I, I didn't, I didn't have camp. It was a new offense. You know, we didn't have preseason. I didn't, I didn't know this offense early on. I was still trying to figure it out. Now, it's just like it's. It, he's like, I, I know where to go. I got everything down pat. And and once you get in that hurry up, it just seems like Drew's got it going. The other thing that kind of helps loosen the tooth up a little bit and not just have it yank, yank, yank is the run game, and it was great against Detroit and." Again, it seemed like they were going to commit to it a little bit. Latavius Murray's been good this year, and consistently they get away from it. And then every now and then, Sean's, you know, I mean, he's always going to be stubborn. He's like, guess what? I've got this off-the-market thing to numb up your tooth. It's off-the-market. No one else does it but me. I created it, even though other people do it. I created it. I don't care that you don't want it. I don't care that your tooth is about to come out. I'm going to just throw this on right now, and that's our boy Taysom Hill. But, my goodness, Gus, if there's a time to break out Taysom Hill, doesn't it seem like it should be when the offense is struggling to get something going, not when Drew is 5-for-5 on a drive and everything is working, and, okay, now you're going to bring him out here?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think the thing that's, that's interesting more than anything is we, I made that a, kind of a conversation and a topic this week um, because of how you just said it, too. And, and I get it, you know, and I've been asked on a couple other shows about Jason Hill. Um, you know, but I want to kind of just touch on what you're talking about with the run game and stuff. Look, I um, I think he, he has to adjust to it and, and you know, Trust that those backs go. I mean, again, Alvin Kamara is a great quote right now after every game, after Detroit, like, look, I'm trying and I'm begging Sean to run the ball and have him go through us. Um, and, God look, I, dog, I just man. think, yeah, and that's the thing, though. It's like you look at it, Scott, and you look at it and go, hey, that's a situation where we don't push the ball down the field. You just don't have it, you know, and, and like I said, it, it's not that it's a bad thing and it's not that uh, you can't win with Drew Brees that way, but you can see the difference. And you saw it Monday and I understand he's a rookie and he's 20 years younger. I get it. But you can see the difference between a live arm and, you know, a 40 year old and, and that's fine. I mean, I'm not saying that it should look the same. It would be a little weird, right? You'd have to blood test it. Um, but you can see the difference where one player's, talent his arm alone puts you in a position to do things that another team just can't they, they can fling it down the field and it quickly just like that take a lead or bring down the field and get a field goal or a touchdown or to retake the lead on the pass where patrick robinson yeah okay great he had the blown coverage that ball was so gone and out that i mean it was over right so that's something that the saints do not have currently so you're going to have to matriculate down the field. You're going to have to ball clock. And that's fine. That's good, especially since your defense can't stop anybody. So those are all good things, especially if you involve the running backs, though. Like, like you keep saying, involve the tight ends, involve the running backs, spread it around. I still think the Saints can be a very good offense and an offense that confuses defenses, Scott, by getting it to the point when Michael Thomas comes back, to where legitimately the defense doesn't know who gets the ball. But here's a game where Traquan Smith is coming off his best game, has confidence, the guy was non-existent. So, you know, again, we're left with this question that we've had the last two seasons, really, and really with Michael Thomas being the dominant receiver, where Saints fans or media members are going, well, are there any other members of the receiving court that want to step in? Well, is it that, or are you not calling those plays, the ball not being delivered, in those areas, are they not getting open? Can they not get open? These are all things we've asked in this, you know, massive bowl of questions as to why the Saints offense doesn't look the same. And I'm here to tell you that, look, it's it's the it's the glaring answer that no one wants to say. It's true. It's true. Again, I, I just sent you the picture, Scott, while you were talking. That's there. That's a that's a first down, and that's a, that's a sack. You know, that and and you can keep going on and on. So you add that and then you added your Taysom Hill element to it. And the question I asked this week was because you're right, Scott, I'm getting the overwhelming feeling, and all I get on and on and on is it's the wrong time and the wrong play for Taysom Hill. So being reporters and journalists, Scott, like you and I are, there's something called the follow-up, right? We always do the follow-up. When is it? I followed up the Saints fans. (laughs) When is the right time, and what is the right play? Because – it's easy to say, that's the wrong time, that's the wrong time. Well, what is it? Because my point I'm trying to make is, I think what's happened is this. He's being used the same, but the success rate is different. That's all it is. So what's happened that's all is, it is, Taysom Hill's unrealistic success rate Correct. is catching up to Correct. it. And when I say unrealistic is, Scott, in the first two years of Taysom Hill the experience. The guy basically was the Michael Vick experience. If he came in on a play, it was either a touchdown, a first down, a big play, a pot, you know, a punt block. I mean, it was like ridiculous, right? I mean, it was the just reason. A it's game the, of
0: well, hundred <laughs> percent. ESPN 1420com dot com. Gus Katan, our guest. I'm Scott Brehder. I said in not the, the exact words you're saying, but the same sentiment. I said it after the Sunday night game against Green Bay. Right. I'm like, look, Mm -hmm. it, it, it was, it was bound to happen. Like the success rate was too great. And that's why, you know, so many people are like, well, yeah, he could be quarterback because you had never seen him fail before. You know, one thing I pointed out and I'm not making an excuse. I mean, other players have had kids, but you know, I mean, I, I would ask Taysom, is your newborn colicky? Because you look like a dude that hasn't slept at all. I'm just saying, uh, with a newborn at home.
1: But like, person that said that though, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Mean, but look, he, I mean, Drew he kind of suffered a little bit like that when he had a bunch of a baby, right, right,
0: right. I mean, right. I'm just, I'm just saying, I mean, that's just reality. It, it is. Um, but but like with Taysom, you you you, I, I will I will answer one. Like when is when is the right time? I think. When the offense is really sputtering, and you go back to the, the, the playoff game and the disappointing loss to Minnesota, it was, all right, we need a spark right now. Like, we need a spark. We need to do something. We're sitting here talking about Drew and, you know, the rhythm being off and everything else. Once he finally gets in rhythm and he's five for five on a drive, I personally don't think this season it's the right time to say, okay, let's go ahead and just get you out of here and, and try something else. Now, whenever it's the offense is off a little bit and you need a spark like that to me as an outsider, that's not within that locker room, but, but look, Sean's going to do, what he's going to do. And yes, it did. You know, the third and manageable situations that you go back to uh, let's go, let's go back to 2017 when, when, when Taysom was just starting to be involved a little bit more um, and not in the 2018 was very involved and obviously last year as well, it was like, Third down is kind of third and manageable is where the Saints weren't good in 2017. And then you got Taysom a lot more involved in those third manageable, and it worked a lot. And so I was always quick to defend it when fans would say, I don't know what you're doing. This year when Breeze is having those bouts and the offense is kind of having moments of, okay, we're having trouble getting going. All right, let's 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 try it. You know, get Taysom. It. it might not work, whatever, but try something to kind of move the sticks, get it going. I, I, you and I both know when Drew's five for five or six for six consecutive passes and it's working and they put Taysom Hill and the play doesn't work. I mean, no one in the world is going to be like, okay, that was cool. You know, like it's not, we're not, you, you're doing the right thing by having the follow up question, but you and I both know. Whenever, he's, whenever Drew's finally clicking in a game where he hasn't been and that's the time you put Taysom in there, the criticism's going to come no matter what, not just from fans, but from every pundit that's watching the game.
1: Well, here's the thing. Taysom Hill's success has been from the unpredictability of when you're using him. So the 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 success of Taysom Hill has partly come because all of a sudden defense goes, I'm sorry, who's that? Uh-oh, seven, and then the ball's been snapped. Right, right. Um but, you know, the thing is, when you look into the lack of success, perhaps, of Taysom Hill, it actually highlights the reason why the Saints offense hasn't looked like the Saints offense, Scott. Pace, right? Tempo. These are things Alvin Kamara literally talked about after the win on Monday night on how they've got to improve and get better. And he said, it's on me, it's on Judith and everybody else. That that pace, the tempo, the team going in and out of the huddle, that's without Taysom Hill. Um... You know, you hear Drew Brees talk about, hey, running the right routes and understanding all those things, executing. That's without Taysom Hill. So you look at the plays this season in which Taysom Hill hasn't done well or hasn't had the success, what's happened? It's been a bad play call, which Sean has had bad play calls this season by his admission. They've had lack of execution, the fumble turnover at Green Bay. That guy got in so fast in the backfield. And Taysom dropped the ball. I mean, you know, he got stripped. It was a good play by the defender, but he was in the back. He hit him when he was taking the ball out of the running back. I mean, you know how far back he is in the the backfield? And also, you know, the the guys, was was somebody supposed to chip him? At least give him a, a brief, you know, run around before he got to Taysom Hill? You look at some of the other plays, the incompletion that he threw. He's thrown two passes this year. A lot of people are saying, hey, well, he needs to get in there and throw the football. Okay, back yeah, to your it, point, it, though, the, yeah. If the ball is moving, do you want him to throw right. a slant or something that Drew can do? Or do you want him to go throw the bomb? I'm all in favor of the bomb. But that pass that he threw against the Chargers, there's four Chargers there, but there's only one route going that direction. The play that did work against the Chargers was a beautifully designed play. Kamara goes in motion to the left. He goes to the right. But when no one's talking about on that run, he had a run-pass option. And Kamara, after the game, joked to him, don't be afraid to run it. It was a pass play. He was actually going to throw it. Sean Payton called a pass play for mm-hmm. him. And it was a great design because that lone charger defender had to decide in space, not at the line of scrimmage, but in space, when two players are coming at him, who do I get? Do I get Trey Quan Smith, or do I get the quarterback who's a little further away from me? that's the kind of stuff you have to do with it. You have to be, you know, creative. And I, you know this. I told you this on the last three couple of shows. Green Bay showed me what the Saints offense was going to be. I keep screaming on my show for rollouts and misdirection and to have Drew fake one way, roll out to the right, and that's, again, another play you can get Jerry Cook involved. Can you tell me the guy can't run three yards straight, hook a right? Go to the sideline and Drew can dump it to him. Roll right after faking left. These are things you can do to help alleviate the pressure on Drew of getting pressure and doing different things. I Look, quite. Sean needs to be better. I mean, I'm watching other games, and there, I see better plays. I see better play calling. And I, it goes back to your initial point. I, I think he's overthinking it. He's overthinking it, right? You, you're right. Taysom Hill was used in short yard situations because he didn't have a back. Latavius Murray's your back now. Use him. You know, you, you couldn't maybe throw out that backfield somebody my and catch it. Do it. Put Taysom Hill at receiver. Put Taysom Hill, uh, uh, you know, to catch a pass. Get him in some space. Do things like that. He's overthinking it. It's the, it's the best thing I keep coming to.
0: And for the record, uh, to be clear, I'm 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 very much a pro-Taysom guy. I'm not anti-Taysom Hill. Me too. Hill. Um, I think he's good. And, uh, and, and he's, he's got a lot of value uh, on this football team. Gus Kagiar, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, our guest. All right, Gus, we, we a few more things to get to before we let you run. I want to get your thoughts on the Pelicans before we go. But Michael Thomas, uh, since you and I have been chatting uh, just here in the last uh, 25 minutes, tweeted out, and I quote, work on how you react when you feel disrespected, end quote. Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about others? Um, uh, very open-ended question here. I think everyone listening knows the Michael Thomas backstory of why he wasn't playing Monday night. You and I have talked uh, often about his personality, uh, how chippy he is. Uh, I have called him in my, th- I think, a bit insecure, even though he's an amazing player. I said, you know, he seems like anything bothers him. Others have. Disputed it, saying they think it's something else. Whatever it is, um, Jeff Duncan's article where he documented some of the things happening—that that was written with the blessing of the Saints organization. There's, they're the ones letting that get out there. We know how controlling Peyton is with the media, um, but but the one quote in there is something that I think we've echoed for a while. Part of what, what makes Michael great is also the thing that at times, sometimes gets him into trouble. Uh, you know, so it's like you can't really have one without the other. It's it's kind of like Sean Payton and you know his stubbornness. You know, sometimes it's great as a play caller, and other times it gets mm-hmm. him into trouble. Right? The difference is he's the head coach. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean Michael Thomas is not reportedly disrespected Payton and other coaches after he punched Johnson, and so he wasn't playing the other night. Uh, again, general question. I'm railing. I'm going to throw it to you. What the overall Michael Thomas story? How do you see this thing shaking out moving forward? Because, look, I, I don't care that Peyton didn't say he'll definitely play against Carolina. A week from Sunday, Michael Thomas is playing, and, and, and I think mm-hmm. it's going to help the offense immensely. Now that, now that I've said that, what do you think happens moving forward with Thomas, the situation, and that locker room?
1: Uh, I could see uh, an all of the above scenario. I-, I can see this being nothing and challenging and motivating, and you go forward. Um, I could see this being something that isn't resolved until the end of the season. And I can see uh, a resolution and, and, and it resolving to where he's no longer on this team at the end of the season. Dude. Um, I could see all of those things. All right, oh, all right wait, all wait, wait, wait. Say that is, <sighs> go ahead. Under go ahead.
0: scenario C. You really think yeah. it could be that bad?
1: I, I can give you not only scenario C as to how it can happen, but I can make it make sense to you to where you might agree with me. All right. If you have the time.
0: Yeah, let's, let's All right, hear it. All right,
1: ready? Okay, real simple. Um, there's precedent. So a couple of years ago, some guy named Jimmy Graham, highest paid tight end, number one tight end in the NFL, number one option in your offense. For whatever reason, again, you and I have gone back and forth on it whatever stories we've been told or how it came out. Um, but basically he couldn't let go and accept the fact that he didn't get the highest paid receiver contract. It affected the locker room. It affected how his behavior was. He was traded. Kenny Stills, Junior Gallette, Gallette, whether you could say he was a great player or not, had a hike. They just paid the guy. Big so contract. the Saints have shown, um, Yeah, I mean, Brandon Browner, the Saints have shown Um that even though they have signed players, you know, the Saints brought in a safety in the corner uh, in the past that didn't work out and got rid of them. So the Saints are not a team that are going to eat and live with it if they think you can't move forward. Now, initially, when you sit there and say, why in the world would you remotely trade a player like, okay, okay. He is a very good receiver. He has Numbers right now that are pointing towards Canton. Um, he's a product of this offense and a good quarterback, but he's a receiver that can get you open. He's an automatic first down, essentially. You can make some of him up the slant, whatever, but it's automatic. That's good. That said, he has limitations, Scott. He cannot beat you over the top. He's not going to catch and run. I've actually joked last year and not even joke, I think I might have text you. We've talked about it last year on your show. Jamar Chase reminds me a lot of Michael Thomas, but faster. Jamar Chase can actually catch the ball and take it to the distance in the house. And you look at certain receivers playing right now, Metcalf in Seattle. I mean, the, the dude that the Chargers had that caught that pass around three states, his size, his speed. They're receivers that have speed and size, I can get open and do those things. Michael Thomas cannot do that. That's not saying he's not great. That's not saying he's not your receiver. But I think a lot of times fans and media get caught up as oh, my God, the number one receiver in the league. Okay, that's great. He can't get you touchdowns, though. Can he get you first downs? Can you do it? Absolutely. But if your philosophy of this offense is to spread the ball around and use multiple receivers to get open for a first down, then is it, I'm not saying it diminishes its importance because a player like that does open up the rest of the offense. In theory. In theory. Now, again, so you can look at it and say, well, the Saints' offense isn't operating the way it should right now because Michael Thomas isn't playing. Okay, you can say that. He had three catches in the Saints window, and the game should have scored 40 points. But that's not saying it's not diminishing him. But I do think. That is lack of getting the ball downfield and doing those things. Because, again, we literally spent most of last season in this offseason saying the Saints need somebody to stretch the field when they have a number one receiver who set the NFL record in reception. So think about that. Now I'm going to give you the reason why it makes sense. What if I can trade him and get a top five pick? What if I can trade him to one of these young quarterbacks or a team that's going to be pick one through five, And you are giving them a first down. You're giving them a potential Hall of Fame receiver. You're giving them something that they know is a known and not an unknown. And that puts me closer to either Trevor Lawrence, Jamar Chase, or somebody else back there. I can use that pick in the top five to move down and get additional picks to help me out. Because the one thing that's apparently clear to me, and again, you have to think further. I'm looking big picture, okay? This year is all in. I'm not trading him this season. But big picture, after the season, you tell me who this team's quarterback is. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's Jameis, Maybe it's Taysom. You're comfortable with those two? I'd rather a much younger guy that I can build later on or I can go get me a receiver that can do those things. And here's the other part, Scott. The salary cap, next four years, is going to be, what, 170, 75, something of that nature. It's not going to be $200 million because of the losses in revenue. You have a lot of players you got to play. If you trade him, there goes his $100 million contract. You're not responsible for that anymore. You have that money that you can now pay or help out corners, safeties, because because he desperately needs that. You want to go get a receiver, help on the offensive line, help that line. You can do a lot of different things if you don't have his contract. The, so the... I'm not advocating Ford, mm-hmm. but if his behavior throughout the rest of the season continues to make it uncomfortable, or you're just like, you know what? It's just not going to work. Then I could understand and see them doing it. I'm not saying go do it because he does make your football team better. But in all of the players that I told you that the things that Trader got, they never, they never sat them, dude. They never sat them. Jimmy Graham was benched, you know? So that ought to tell you what that went to. To where they sat him in a game they needed when he was healthy,
0: desperately needed. Yeah. So my only counter about the is is one you used as a as a pro, which I think would be a, mm-hmm. a, a make it difficult, and that's the contract because yeah the the extension it kicks in next year. So if you're a team with a, a top five pick, as you said, uh, the value of that pick is so much greater in today's NFL even than it was prior to, you know, 2010, whenever the, you know, those rookie salaries were so high and they didn't have the cap basically Mm -hmm. on them. So as a team saying, we're going to trade something that's going to be on a rookie controlled cost for a guy that's, you know, going to have an $18 million cap hit this year, uh, cost us twelve point six mil, then over fifteen mil th- next year, then over fifteen, and then at thirty-one years old, let's do eighteen and a half mil. Well, we can get out of it, but yeah. the dead cap, if mm-hmm. we do, is going to be over nineteen million dollars. It is a difficult contract to move this early before it kicks in. Now, somebody said, "Well, if you were to suspend him," which they didn't. They didn't suspend him. They just they 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 sat him they didn't technically suspend him right i'm not trying to say they didn't right. sit him i'm not i'm not disputing your point they did right i mean he they they made it very clear it's not injury related technically they didn't actually suspend him from the game uh which means that you know this whole idea of well they could possibly get out of the contract like i think if they had technically suspended him i would be reading right. more into the clause within his contract that would suggest they could get out of it but I think they made it a point not to, they didn't go down that road. So that tells me Gus, they're trying to send a message to him, right? They're trying to send a message to him, but they're also letting him know, look, man, we believe in you. We're not, we're not trying to get out of this thing. We're not trying to Mm -hmm. end our relationship that at this point is, you know, we're, we're under contractually for another five plus years. We, we, we want you, we're going to, we're going to give you this money. We're not threatening to take that away, but we got to do something, man, that we got to get a point across. So, Like, and I know that you're not saying you think he will, in fact, end up being traded. You only laid out a scenario that would make sense and why there's precedent and why it's not, quote, far fetched. Uh, And you did a good job of laying it out. I'll give you that. I think uh, analyzing this whole situation, uh, this is the last point I'll make on it. And then then I'll ask you about the Pels before you go. I think it, I, I mean, you hear it a lot. You talk to coaches, you talk to players. I mean, winning cures a lot. Uh, having having covered you know college football program, having covered the Cajuns and the previous regime, I can tell you, man. Look, when you're winning games, like all of these problems within a program, uh, it, it, so look, you can win and lose games in some pro, some programs, some teams, they just don't have a lot of locker room problems, regardless of what their record is. Other and you, if you're winning games, so many of those things, they're just they're small, they're in the background, they're not. It's a small little campfire. It's not bad. Like, all right, just don't put your finger in it or you burn yourself. We'll put it out later. Not a big deal. When you're losing, man, you're just throwing gas on it. And you come out yeah. after the bye and Mike plays and he looks good and he gets touches and the offense looks better and you're four and two and you're atop the division and you got a manageable schedule at least in the next few weeks after that. I think I think things are fine. You start losing. And suddenly, you've lost to the Panthers. They're in first place. They got Teddy Bridgewater. Things are looking up for them. What's going on? And the finger pointing starts. It, I really, I don't. I I would not bet on Michael Thomas not being with the Saints the next few years. But I'm also not naive to think there's no way it can happen. And for all the reasons you just laid out, I do think that if you win here moving forward, this is not that big of a deal. But if you struggle and you lose moving forward. Every single issue in that locker room, especially the big ones, and this is a big one, it just gets magnified and it blows up.
1: Well, you know, and look, one of the reasons I advocated and thought that he should have gotten a bigger deal um, was because you don't know who the quarterback is. And having a player that can get open for you, that works that hard, that is a guy you don't have to worry about um, on the field is a good thing. But Scott, like I said, I've talked to you about it before. His... This isn't an isolated thing, and in talking to several people, it's either escalating or he's testing the boundaries. I, like I said, look, I, I've heard stories where he's not very nice to the staff over there, you know, from the equipment people to the Jersey folks. It's just, he's, 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 he's just, he, he has, he has an attitude. I, I don't know how else to really put it. Again, yeah, I've never seen it, witnessed it. I've just been told it. Um, other than seeing his demeanor in the locker room and things of that nature but you know again that's not saying that this is something completely different or far-fetched man i have covered countless players and you have too, scott in the locker room that aren't the nicest people or aren't the most friendliest people or I'm just simply ball, or just don't like the media but are great to locker rooms or whatever but do their job and don't go about it so i'm not gonna say because you know he you know, doesn't say good morning to somebody, that he's a terrible person in trade. That, that's not what I'm getting at. Um, but it's just interesting when you look at a timeline of when he first got here to now, The, I mean, he was basically silent, right? He was very quiet when he first got in the league to where he got a lot more open, a lot more vocal, a lot more Twitter and social media. And, again, I, I brought up the different instances, too. When you go after a local photographer and reporter for just – Saying, "Hey, calm down on Twitter," and, and I mean, he destroys it. He says, "I'm never going to speak to you again, so you lose your." T-. I mean, just when, when you when when you say certain things that that go from a level one to a level ten, it raises an eyebrow. And 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 that was months ago. That was so. It to me, if I'm a, a you know an investigator I'm analyzing, I'm saying, well, things are escalating, which is why I would say, well, now you're, you're presenting me option C. I, I don't want option C. You're presenting me option C. And, you know, like I said, maybe I'm just, uh, you know, I, maybe I want to, maybe I want to help Joe, you know, I'm calling the on line one. you want to give Joe that? Cause I'll take your top. <laughs> Joe can go start winning and, and that, but he needs an offensive line. So now, like I said, um, I I hope that doesn't go to it because I do think whoever that next quarterback is could really use a good receiver Mm -hmm. and one that can uh, make a good play. And look, you want that sort of turmoil. like you said, look, um, this is a team that had a ton of expectations. I go back to how we started our conversation, Scott, pressing. Pressing and pressure and expectations. When you have Teron Armstead, when you have every player, including Drew Brees, say, hey, we are Super Bowl or bust. Drew, the only reason I came Super Bowl. Armstead, Super Bowl or bust. Ram check, Yeah, it's Super Bowl or bust. And you don't come out and play that way off the bat. You press, man. We've seen no-talent teams press, high-talent teams press. We saw the Clippers choke, man, in front of our eyes, and Doc Rivers was fired. That is a good team. So it happens to... In every sport, and it happens all the way around, I think the Saints just need to relax. I I think they need to not overthink it. I think they need to just, they have the talent on the field because the one thing that I'll leave you on is this, Scott, the Saints, and I think you'd agree with me on this, they're not deficient in a lot of areas. I think Marcus Williams can be a good safety. We saw that happen already as as a rookie. I think Malcolm Jenkins can still play enough to where, as we saw in Green Bay, make a big stop on fourth down. You know, Marshawn Lattimore, when he's locked in, can be a heck of a cornerback. We saw him make that incredible fourth down play. He's just got to be in the game every, you know, play. We've seen this offensive line protect Drew Brees. We've seen this offensive line have a playoff. We've seen Drew Brees look terrible. We've seen Drew Brees drop a 41-yard, beautiful pass to Cook, a beautiful dime to Kamara down the sideline. It's there. We just got to put it together. Like, that's what I'm saying in the locker room if I am bending that's what Sanders said. Um, he said in a podcast this week, he said it in a locker room, Kamara said it, they're like, it's there. We just got the, to do it together yeah. and get it done. It's there. So that's the good thing about it, Scott. They at least do have it there.
0: Yeah, they, the talent is there. Gus Cagnar, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Man, I've kept you a long time. Uh, final question, I got to ask you. Pelican, this next head coach, Um it seemed like they really wanted Ty Lue. It seemed like David Griffin really wanted Ty Lue. Uh, he signs a five-year deal with the Clips. Let's get, let's get dressed. Is it, is it? Is it Stan Van Gundy? Is it someone else? At this point, final question. We'll let you run. I know you got. Uh, I know you got daddy duties. I'm sorry. Um,
1: I think it's right now when you look at all of the things that, um, especially, obviously with uh, Tyron Lue going to. Um, to the Clippers, which is the other big name, you know, I, I got sold. I had Ali Costello and Jake Madison on this week. And I said, you know, tell me why Stan Van Gundy is an option. Why is David Griffin talking to him? And, you know, in short, I, I think the fact that he is a guy that worked with Dwight Howard, who's a big, and the fact that he's a guy that, um, you know, also was one of the first, I would say originators, but was one of those coaches that understood how the three-point shot and a, a fast-paced offense can help a big um, really perk my ears off. And when he had Howard, that's what he did. Three-point shooters, it provided space, and it allowed him to operate. Um, he's accountable in terms of he will hold you accountable. He's a very stern coach. He has a big enough personality. You saw his tweet this morning talking about voting um, you know, senators out that confirm Amy, Tony Barrett. His politics probably ain't going to be a lot for a lot of people, but he's strong enough personality and politically to where I think he can communicate and gain the respect of today's NBA players. And that's what's important. X's and O's, anybody he hires is going to know it. How can you get those players to play hard for you do what you want him to do. He believes in defense and does all those different things that I think that it makes sense. I think it'd be a good fit for this young basketball team, um, I, honestly. I, I, if not, um, I like Mosley, and if not, you know me. I, I've always said I wouldn't mind Sam Cassell.
0: Great stuff from Gus Cangale. Man, we got to let you run. I've kept you way too long, but uh, when we start chatting, Saints, we kind of... Get long-winded, uh, and I won't make an apology about that. <laughs> no, all the best, man. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the time with the boy this weekend and uh, the weather cooling down, all right?
1: Sure, man. Take care, buddy.
0: You got it. Great stuff from Gus cattengill This is ESPN1420 and .com.